Hi, I'm Carla Harris, host of Access and Opportunity, an award-winning show from Morgan Stanley that brings you diverse voices working to solve some of our toughest challenges, like Diana Chow. I think when it comes to college students, what I would love to see is a greater recognition of the need for cultural diversity of care provision. Find out how Diana is applying a global perspective to better mental health care for students. Listen to Access and Opportunity wherever you find your podcasts. Coming up. Now, you may not know Marnie Nixon's name, but you've heard her voice. He provided the singing voices for some of the biggest musicals in Hollywood history, including The King and I, West Side Story, and My Fair Lady. Marnie Nixon on the Wall Street Journal Arts and Media Podcast. This is WSJ Speakeasy. Updates on arts and entertainment, interviews with celebrities, and marquee guests. Hi, I'm Christopher John Farley, a senior editor for the Wall Street Journal. I'm talking to Marnie Nixon, who provided the vocals, the singing vocals, for some of the greatest movies in musical history. Ms. Nixon, thanks for joining the Wall Street Journal. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so My Fair Lady is being re-released in a special 50th anniversary Blu-ray DVD pack. How does it feel to once again see your voice coming out of Audrey Hepburn's mouth? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Is it strange for you to see that 50 years later? Is it still unusual for you? Is it a weird experience to see your voice coming out of Audrey Hepburn's mouth? Well, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've uh, heard it for so long and accepted it for so long, and uh, I think we did a very good job of doing the dubbing, and it stayed with me. You know, the, the memories of it all is is uh, still very clear and uh, and quite wonderful, um, and I remember the process that it took when we did it, and uh, that that was interesting and, and fun and complicated. Now, you were born in 1930 in Altadena, California. How did you catch right. the performing bug? Well, I started the—we have a—my a, mother was German, father very Scottish, <laughs> and my mother had this— uh, ethic of everybody playing and playing instruments and practicing at home before we went to school. And so by the time I was four years old, I had already chosen to play the violin in our family orchestra, (laughs) which we had. My older sister played the clarinet. My next older sister played the, the bells and the drums. And my mother sometimes played the piano. I played the violin, and uh, then uh, my father played the trumpet, and my youngest sister played the biggest instrument of all, the cello. <laughs> and we we practiced every day, um, just privately, just uh, you know, separately. Uh, we had to practice for an hour every day before we went to school, and that went on for a long time. And um, then we joined family. We joined other orchestras and uh, uh, playing playing orchestras for young people around the community, and uh, it was a wonderful musical experience. And then we went into the singing. It just was easier to sing rather than taking your instrument. Sometimes they would teach me songs to sing, and. Uh, I would sing them, and then we would uh, go to the Kiwanis clubs and the and uh, the local PTA. And my sisters and I would ha- joined had a trio singing ourselves, and we would then sing. And uh, so that gradually led into doing 
dubbing for motion pictures, which was fun because I was then uh, doing some acting also. And uh, at the Pasadena Playhouse, I did children's roles there. So I was just a little professional, I guess. It was just a part of my life at that point. <laughs> getting to know you, getting to know all about you. One of your first big getting musicals was The King and I in 1956, starring Deborah Carr. And you provided her singing voice. Tell me what that was like and what kind of relationship, on-set relationship, did you have? Because I understand that she actually wanted to sing it herself. Deborah wanted to do most of her singing, of course, and they all did, but she actually accepted the fact that she could not do it quite the way she wanted to do it, so uh, she then uh, was very cooperative and worked with me during the the whole filming, uh, which meant that she had to record all the songs before she sang them on film and the film so she was then mouthing to the soundtrack which by that time happened to be me instead of her except for the fact that she recorded the uh the verses of some of the songs and then what it was like a speaking sound that was necessary uh, then she could do that, but then when it when it went into the uh, singing tone, then it was always me. So it it really ended up being me in the in the all, all the songs except for some of the in, intros. Now, of uh, course, uh, if, if, for that musical, I've read. I think it was in your autobiography that both you and Deborah Carr were in the same singing booth sometimes talk singing through some of these songs, these great numbers like Getting to Know You and Shall We Dance. Was that uncomfortable yes, being in the exactly. same booth with someone so, that you're ghosting? Yes, so so we it's all pre recorded and so we went first of all, we were we rehearsed together the scenes and practiced the singing together on on a uh a, a stage where she did all the um, motions and uh, how she was uh, staged. They brought in the furniture that was going to be used in the scene, and we would walk side by side in that rehearsal process with her singing the songs and with me singing the whole song so I could get a feeling of what she wanted to do and what what the... song was all about and also get in my mind all her the, the, the her particular pronunciation and uh, also her interpretation of the song and her phrasing and uh, then once we did that then we went to the sound booth to the sound tr- uh, to record the soundtrack which was then sometimes a combination of her starting but it goes right, it goes in between speaking and then actually a singing tone. And so we had to point to each other which one was going to do this, and this was planned, which was going to do it and which, and who was going to do it at the, that moment recording it. Then the process is that then when she gets to doing the film, she has to then mouth to all of that track, whether it happens to be my voice or her voice. 
Well, I want to talk about another very memorable, memorable movie of yours, West Side Story. Natalie Wood right. was the star of that. And she, uh, her understanding was that she would be singing the music herself. And she was actually quite upset when she found out that she, her voice was going to be replaced by yours. Tell me a bit about that. Yes. Yes. Well, I, she knew that I was on the, the set or I was around the studio in order to do some dubbing for her high notes, which well, that's what she thought, because she, could, she knew that she couldn't do some of the high notes just exactly correctly. And you, you realize that some of these actresses can really sing, but the, the, uh, the requirements for some of these are really like, you know, musical theater, uh, theater singing, and sometimes it's not, your voice doesn't, doesn't have that timbre that is necessary. So um, when it's recorded, then in that way. Anyway, so she thought that I was there just to do the high notes. So I was at the studio when she was actually recording her songs to be used in the in the picture. Um, however, I was there to listen to her soundtrack. Then actually, she recorded to her soundtrack because they knew that she was furious and would not accept the fact that I was then going to be singing them all afterwards. And then I had to come back to the picture having been filmed to her soundtrack and dub in my voice after the fact. So there I was watching the film then and and laying my voice into into the movie, which is not really what the process should be that's that's just like that's just like overdubbing that's another story <laughs> <laughs> of course west side story was not just pretty good a huge hit considered a classic came out in 1961 generated such popular songs as tonight and i feel pretty and somewhere all songs that you sang on um the story is that yes. leonard bernstein who composed those songs gave you some of his royalties because you weren't getting royalties is that true that's true. Um, Leonard, who actually was not on the set at all when we were recording, uh, had to approve of my dubbing. And um, then um, I uh, wanted, after the fact, I wanted to get some royalties on the movie, and they said, well, we, uh, we just don't do that. And... Uh, that in this case it's not a precedent or anything and so he himself gave up some of his royalties they they said that all the royalties had been given away that they they didn't have any more royalties to give away and uh so then he gave up some of his royalties so that i could get a percentage of his royalties and that was quite wonderful and um how did natalie wood treat you when she talked to you or met you around the around the filming of this movie and was she was she professional was she cordial was she upset because she knew it was going to be her voice on the final product or what, what were your encounters with her like well after afterwards of course there was some time before we had any any human contact actually um but then when we when I did speak with her, like at some award ceremonies and things, 
she knew that this that it had gotten out the secret had gotten out that I had done any of the dubbing and which and she was furious and she did nod to me and say hello and she was she was then cordial but but very kind of distant and and uh but that was it. She had to be cordial to me. I think it was, uh, you know, there was no reason why not to be anyway at that point. Okay, we're going to pause for a second and come back and talk about My Fair Lady. They're here. All new podcasts from the Wall Street Journal, including What's News? Top Stories Without the Noise. Where does the presidential campaign go from here? Check back for daily updates from the Wall Street Journal. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, updates on arts and entertainment, interviews with celebrities and marquee guests. This is WSJ Speakeasy. My Fair Lady. My Fair Lady came out in 1964. Of course, it starred the great Audrey Hepburn, but it featured the voice of Marnie Nixon. Marnie, how did you first get involved in My Fair Lady? I've read in your autobiography and elsewhere that you actually had to do some auditions because people thought that maybe you were too American to do the voice of Elijah Doolittle, who, of course, is this cockney flower seller who becomes a sophisticated um, upper-class lady working in a flower shop in My Fair Lady. Do you remember that being, right. being told the, you maybe the British to... had to be exactly you know the right kind of British, but it also had to be Audrey Hepburn's interpretation of British. Then I had to do her version of the Cockney. Besides, you know. Well, that's what I find so interesting about the work that you do is that you know, Audrey Hepburn was a star then. This is 1964 for filming of My Fair Lady. She'd been in Sabrina, Roman Holiday, Funny Face. You know, when she she got a hit with the song Moon River from Breakfast at Tiffany's, and here you are around the set brought in to sort of do her singing. What was your relationship like on the set? And tell me how you came to sort of find Audrey's voice for the film. Well, she was very gracious once she learned that I was going to be doing some of the dubbing. She it wasn't sure how much at that point I would be picked up every morning and by in her limousine with her in the back seat also in the limousine and we would visit on the way to the studio they would deliver me to the studio and she would go to her voice lesson she would have her voice lesson and learn the songs and I would just be sitting on the sidelines watching and listening and hearing the timbre of her voice and seeing how she pronounced everything. And um, so I got very acquainted with her voice by that time. I've read that you and Audrey came to be quite close during the filming of My Fair Lady. You talked about your family. She talked about um, the, the birth of one of her children with you. What was that like? What, what was your relationship like on set? Well, this actually was mostly taking place in the limousine, all of this talking personally on the way to the studio. Uh, we would be jabbering. Sometimes uh, at an off moment we would talk about that, but mostly the background and acquiring the, you know, getting to be friendly was done in those social moments where we could just be off guard and talk like 
human beings, and I was always impressed with her, and she wanted to know about my children, and I wanted to know about hers, and being females, you know, you talk about your children, especially at that age when they're very young. <laughs> so Time Magazine once called you the ghostess with the mostess, uh, meaning that you are the ghost singer that the stars turned to. What, why and when did you start talking about the fact you were actually the person behind some of these great musicals? Well, it was after it got to be known, then they would call me and say, well, did you do any of the dubbing for... I would say, well, my contract tells me that I cannot say anything about it. A clue that I couldn't say anything about it. And then it it got to be known, and it got to be kind of silly, and then afterwards they gave me credit, not on the actual movies themselves, but in the beginning of the movie when they would do a rerun, they would use they would say this, and I could do nothing about that. I want to talk a bit about contracts. I'm wondering, you know, you've been in such great musicals, The King and I, West Side Story, My Fair Lady, which made millions of dollars around the world. Do you see a lot of royalties from these movies now? No. Um, well, the King and I, I did not get any royalties at all. The King and I, I got paid double scale, which was, I think, $475 at that point. I had gotten paid by the week being at the studio doing the job. Uh, but, but you know, in, in, in a kind of a usual way, not too much. But then uh, when it got to be West Side Story, um, I decided that I would want to get credit for the movie. Um, no, that I would want to get royalties. I knew I wouldn't get credit, but I wanted to get royalties for the movie, uh, for the for the amount of songs that I dubbed, blah, blah, blah. The union said, well, if you've signed that you get no credit, you get no credit. But the union then said that I would get a certain amount for the certain amount of um, time that those songs took in the movie uh, as I was paid in in uh, My Fair Lady. But I said that I wanted to get royalties besides, and so I stuck to my guns, and I then I said that if they didn't give me royalties, that uh, I was going to demand that they remove every part of my voice from the dubbing of the movie. This is the West. This that is West Side Story. Legal, and that was West Side Story. Huh. And I was scared to death because I thought maybe they would do that because nobody had ever done that before. Um, and that's when Leonard Bernstein stepped up to the plate and said, I will give her a part of my royalties on the payment for this movie. And so that set a precedent that I got then that amount of royalties for any movie that I dubbed after that. And uh, which then I uh, got in My Fair Lady right from the beginning, even though I wasn't getting credit for that either. So, now, uh, finally, does that make sense? It, it certainly does. If people do want to see you on screen, you played Sister Sophia in The Sound of Music in 1965, 
And, of course, you sang on some of the songs, including How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria. Uh, What was it like finally being in front of the camera, letting people finally see the woman behind the voice that they'd heard so many times in all these other great musicals? Well, that was fun. But you realize that as a child, I had been doing a lot of motion picture things. So it wasn't like a, 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 a... that big a, big a thing, except that it was uh, it was a musical, and that you know now it was an adult doing an adult movie in a musical that was right up my alley at that point. It was a fantastic experience. Finally, with My Fair Lady having its fiftieth anniversary edition coming out, coming out on Blu-ray and DVD combo pack. Why do you think this musical has had? such an enduring legacy. Why are people still talking about this musical, still reissuing restored versions, still wanting to know more about My Fair Lady 50 years after its release? Well, My Fair Lady is one of the great, great stories. I mean, going back to the original story and and, and, uh, the, and um, the, 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 uh, the way it's put together and the sim symbology of nowadays w- with every with with female resurgence of female power of being able to have the vote and all of that stuff that it just has it has a resonance that is so deep and so archetypal that uh, it it uh, and because the play is so wonderful and that um it uh, because it's been made into musical, I think even has more power too. So uh, it reaches uh, the soul of people, and it becomes a very popular and successful venture. Of course, there is that great story, but there are also those great songs which you sang on, "Wouldn't It Be Loverly" and "The Rain in Spain," and "I Could Have Danced All Night," and "Show Me," and "Without You." Marnie right. Nixon, thanks a lot for joining the Wall Street Journal, and thanks for talking about this re-release of "My Fair Lady." Well, thank you very much.